0: Uh, Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining the spiritual series workshop, "Our Way of Living in the Life, Steps 10, 11, and 12 by Herb K. If you would like to receive communication from Herb, please go to his website at herbk.com and subscribe to the newsletter by inputting your email. And I just want to remind everyone that this presentation is a fundraiser for in the Mary and Joseph retreat center. So for donations, please go to their website, Mary jo- maryjoseph.org and press on the donation button and select her pay for, from the drop down menu. And your generosity is welcome and appreciated. This workshop is being recorded and the recording will be available to all the attendees in each time and we will be able to send you the link to that recording after this workshop. Thank you and enjoy.
1: Thanks very much, Tanya.
2: Hello everyone. My name is Marlene Velasquez. I work here at the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center and we wanna thank Herb and everyone here um, for this retreat Herb has actually been generous enough to donate uh, the money from this retreat and every retreat of this series to the retreat center. So thank you so much, Herb, especially right now during um, the COVID crisis, we um, are not able to have any retreats. So whatever we get from these retreats is what we've been um, living off of. (laughs) So thank you, Herb, thank you. We do really appreciate it. Um, So a little bit about Herb. As you know, Herb has um, received the gift of freedom from alcohol on February 21st, 1984. He and his late wife have been part of the retreat center for many years. Actually, his late wife was the director here. And um, they have been giving to us generously for many, many years. And with that, I'd like to present to you all the wonderful gifts of Herb.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Marlene, so much. Uh, My name is Herb and I am an alcoholic and um, so just excited and pleased to be here with you all. What a wonderful gift this Zoom technology is. Um, Although it sounds all very organized and formal and it is quite frankly organized thanks to people like Tanya and Marlene, um, I, I wanted also to have some informality to it. Uh, I will be talking to you about my knowledge and my experience of of an aspect of the 12-step program. Um, But I'm a big believer in context. So I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Perhaps we could uh, just take a minute and get ourselves located within ourselves. And take a nice deep breath and relax and be open in our minds and in our hearts and pray with me out loud or quietly or not at all just having some sort of positive attitude about why you've chosen to use your time this way this morning and this afternoon and join me in the serenity prayer. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. It's such a great attitude for us during these days that we've been experiencing such stress in our environments, primarily due to the pandemic. What can I influence? What can't I influence? I can't, I've given up the word. I rejected the word. I jettisoned the word control many years ago. I I have no control of anything outside of me. I have no control of anything inside of me, control. I don't use the word anymore. I try not to. I do use the word influence. What can I influence outside of me? What can I influence inside of me? That's really the close to the topic today. We'll be talking about emotional sobriety. Superficial by my standards. Hopefully, it'll break some new ground for you or at least remind you of ground that you've broken before. But I also want to uh, introduce you to another aspect of what Bill calls our way of living. I think step 10 is the primary tool for emotional sobriety and steps 11 and 12, I used to call up until three days ago, uh, uh, spiritual sobriety. And, And that's okay. I might even still use those words today, spiritual sobriety. But really, truly, it's about optimal living. Optimal living. One of the old timers here in our area said there are two sides to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. There are two sides. Now, when I use the term Alcoholics Anonymous I really mean to include all of the 12-step programs. I'm an alcoholic in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcohol was my problem. It isn't today and hasn't been for 37 years. I got sober in 1984. And the 12-step methodology has been expanded since 1939 when the big book was published as prophesied in the first edition, in the preface to the first edition in the very first paragraph in that first edition. You might read it, it's it's phenomenal that Bill had this insight. He says, our way of living may have its advantages for all, not just all alcoholics clearly And he didn't have the scope of experience or understanding that it would have the benefit to all addictions. Who could have predicted that there's over 100 to maybe 200 different 12-step programs addressing different aspects of different addictions? Who could have predicted that? Certainly he didn't, but he knew there was something special about the 12-step methodology for spiritual awakening. So he was addressing all human beings. Only a percentage of people have a problem with addiction. One out of 10, five out of 10. But this methodology is effective for all human beings, regardless of their gender, regardless of their culture, regardless of their geography, regardless of their problems the 12-step program promises a spiritual awakening my experience is fairly broad i've attended meetings throughout the country certainly and even in some parts of the world and my conclusion and general experience is most people in a 12-step program are not really clear as to what a spiritual awakening is Really, seriously, and, and, and how to actually have that experience and how to support, sustain, and maintain that experience. Bill Wilson in the big book says we're not cured. Read pages 84 and 85 in the big book. He promises we're placed in a position of neutrality with regard to our addiction. That's the promise in the big book, the promise of the first nine steps. He says, we enter the world of the spirit. When we finish the ninth step, we enter the world of the spirit and we're placed in a position of neutrality. Hear the grace of that. This isn't a human development program where we learn some things and we get the strength enough to catapult ourselves into abstinence nope first step makes that very 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 clear no choice no power over our addiction at a minimum first half of the first step and over reality and our life the indication the implication of unmanageability powerless no choice If there's anything that we can do to deal effectively with our addiction, including AA and including working the steps, if there's anything that we can do to create abstinence, we're not powerless. We just have to figure out the formula and do it. The implications of the first step is, no choice. We can see the problem, we can analyze the problem, we can understand the problem, we can write about the problem, we can pray about the problem, we can talk about the problem. Some of that might help, but it won't fix the problem. That's what it means, by by my experience. And then once the problem is neutralized, he says in those pages, Entering into step 10, we enter into the world of the spirit. We're placed in a position of neutrality, but we're not cured. Now, People all the time can quote that, but do they really understand? What does that mean? Not cured. A daily reprieve. What does that mean? It says on page 84, these promises that were articulated at the end of the ninth step will always materialize if we work for them and he says this brings us to step 10 this brings us to the three steps that form the our way of living I call them the best kept secrets in the 12 step rooms we have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition and that's what I want to talk about today emotional sobriety the ingredients of the 10 step optimal living the ingredients of steps 11 and 12. i'm a big believer however in context i like to know where i've been where i am and where i'm going kind of a blueprint for the day the first hour we'll talk about the context steps one through nine as the platform, the base, the assumption of freedom from our addiction. The second hour, we'll talk about step 10 and emotional sobriety. And the third hour, we'll talk about the final components of our way of living. That's a a phrase Bill uses. It's it's a, a flag under which He promises a life that flourishes. We start out with a life of floundering. Maybe that's why you're here. And we end up with a life that flourishes. I use the term. I've used the term for 32 years. It didn't happen when I first came into AA. I was given the freedom from alcohol. I didn't even ask for it. I didn't go to AA. I didn't pray for it. I was given the gift February 20th, 1984. They asked me to stop drinking to support my wife's recovery. She was in the hospital for her own recovery. They asked me to stop drinking to support that recovery. And I was willing to do that. The next day is my anniversary. I haven't had a drink since, nor have I had any inclination to drink. I don't understand that it's a mystery to me. Two months later, I went to AA and started the journey in the 12-step fellowship. Many of our stories are quite different than that. Part of the technology or methodology in the hospital program was, as I now understand it in retrospect, I didn't know what was going on then, is that they asked me a question for me to ask myself. Basically saying that, ask yourself this question and hold the question in the milieu of prayer and allow the asked but unanswered question in the milieu of prayer to bubble, to percolate, and to take you to a place that you've never experienced. I'm asking you to do that today. We've prayed already the serenity prayer. And I'm asking you to ask yourself two questions, which I hope you will write an answer to, but hold the question. It's not ready, fire, aim. Ready, aim, fire, much more effective. Ask the question, hold the question, After 30 seconds of like just pondering, discerning about the implications of the question. then And just listen to any of the sounds that are going on, any of the feelings that are going on, any of the thoughts that are going on. And then bring it to some sense of conclusion and write a sentence or two in answer to that. Why are you here? Thousands of people got the flyer, but you heard the invitation. And I use that term advisedly. You're here because you responded to an invitation. It might've been from a sponsor or a friend or just your curiosity or perhaps some pain or perhaps some positive uh, affirmation of wanting to expand and deepen your own personal adventure. Doesn't matter what the reason is, but it would be good to be very clear right now. Why are you here? And the second question, what is the current source of your suffering? Now I'm gonna repeat that because you may not have heard what I asked you. I did not ask you what your current suffering is. That's interesting, but it's really just smoke, it's really symptomatic. I asked, what is the source of your current suffering? I mean, as human beings, we're always encountering speed bumps. What is the source of your current suffering? And if you don't know, you don't know. And you can describe the signals of it the manifestations of it, the symptoms of it. Freud said the task of the human being is to make the unconscious conscious. Because if we don't do that, we conclude our lives as victims our life is a outcome of fate or other people's malevolence ill will these are words that he used i'm paraphrasing them but if in fact we can pause and stop and get underneath the underneath and underneath even some more the unconscious we will eventually realize whether that's in good religion or good therapy or a good relationship or just good self-help, certainly within the framework of the 12-step methodology, to identify the unconscious beliefs and the unconscious motives that we have. And that's my experience with this process. The curtain was pulled back on my beliefs and my motives but not until I was four years sober. I did the steps out of the big book at that time between my fourth and my fifth year with a mechanic, a step big book mechanic who understood the the instructions, the precise instructions in the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous and was guided in their application to his personal life and had the spiritual awakening. Well, what is a spiritual awakening? It's not sophisticated. It's not mystical. It's not mysterious. How it comes about might be, but the actual understanding of what it is, is not. And Bill gave us Appendix two in the back of the big book, 567, 568, a page and a half that describes what they are, spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening. What they are, their, their product, their outcome, what they do, and how they're different. Very, very, very simply put, they both provide a change. A spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening are exactly the same in outcome, a change. A change in the way we think and feel and behave. Now, the real key here is it's not self-help because it's done to us, not by us. I've added recently though, but not without us. It's a change in the way we think and feel and behave that's done to us, not by us, but not without us. A spiritual experience is that what Bill had that mountaintop mystical experience. I liken it to in the metaphor of light as a light switch. Boom, it went on and it was 20 minutes and it was very measurable and it was very dramatic and it changed his life forever. Most of us don't have that. But he didn't know that at the time he wrote the big book. 1939, April, the book's 12th step read, having had a spiritual experience. After it came out and people started to push back to say they They haven't had what Bill had that mountaintop mystical, the room filled with light, sudden, phenomenal upheaval. Most people don't have that. So Bill thought it through, changed step 12 for the second printing of the big book in 1941. The second printing of the first edition changed the 12th step, the only substantial change in the book since it was originally written having had a spiritual awakening, which is the way the words are now. And he put appendix two in the back of the book to explain the difference. A spiritual experience is like a light switch. A spiritual awakening is like a dimmer switch. A dimmer switch is that switch that you press and it gets a low voltage because there's less electricity in the line And as you turn the dimmer switch up a notch at a time, a little bit more current flows into the line. A little bit more electricity uh, lightens up the bulb and there is more light. Gradual, incremental, very slow. Now, in the context of the 12-step program, I see this as an infinite dimmer switch because we're in relationship with an infinite light. That's really the good news. And my image is that we stay gently pressed up against it. Look at my hands. We stay gently pressed up against the dimmer switch. Shoulder to the wheel. And we press gently. There's no violence here. No violence. It's, this is not about willpower. This is not about wrestling our demons to the ground. No This is about the humility that I can't and the hope that it will be removed. These bedevilments will be removed. Exorcism. Yeah, not in the religious context, but as the metaphor. The removal of these bedevilments that Bill describes on page 52 as the real nature of unmanageability. The predecessor group to Alcoholics Anonymous calls this work soul surgery. It's beautiful. We invite the divine surgeon. I'm using these metaphors and these words, and I, if in fact any of it from a spiritual standpoint or a, a religious standpoint, uh, you resist them, try to hold yourself open to modify the words to some type of positive psychology or positive human development as broad as you can. But I'm giving you the historical context here. The Oxford group, uh, they were focused on recreating first century Christianity. That was their goal. And Bill was a member of the Oxford group. That's where he got sober. And Dr. Bob was a member before Bill was for two and a half years. But Bob couldn't get sober because he thought it was he needed to get information and then apply it in a human development mechanism. And after every Oxford group meeting on a weekly basis for two and a half years, he went home and got drunk. After he met Bill and Bill explained to him, powerlessness of the body and powerlessness of the mind that he had an allergy and an obsession over which he had no choice. Bob was able to get sober because he realized, Oh, this isn't about self-help. This isn't about knowledge. This isn't about willpower. In fact, it's about no choice. And when I humbly surrender to the experience of no choice somehow I'm given power I can explain it I can observe it but it doesn't give me any understanding as to really how it works I explain the mechanisms and the phenomena one of the people I was working with had been in a treatment center eight different times. He was 24 years old, Kevin. And after a conversation or two with him, he came back and I understood that he finally was getting some traction. And I said, so what happened? He said, I got tired of suffering. I said, then what happened? He said, I quit resisting. I said, then what happened? He said, I was willing to take direction. No, it was really that simple. I've repeated the story a couple hundred times, I'm sure. I got tired of suffering. I quit resisting. I was willing to take direction. The man who helped me, I'm going to put up some slides now. The man who helped me There we go. Obviously, we've covered some ground without my getting there, all right. So the the man who helped me said after I was uh, four years sober and I was asking him to help me go through the steps, he looked at me, look at the screen now, and he says, Herb, you have a lot of information, but you have very little transformation. You've got a lot of academic knowledge, but it's never been filtered through your heart to your feet. He said, the consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. He was quoting Einstein. I didn't know it at the time. I cannot fix my mind with my mind. So he said, And he quoted from the big book on page 58. There's many quotes in the big book uh, with this same theme, but this is the one he used at that time. On page 58, he said, some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. He went on to say, to the extent that you have knowledge and experience that you hold on to, you're not going to have any new knowledge and experience. Are you willing to be released? Hear the vocabulary. Are you willing to be released from that knowledge and that experience and to be taken to a place that you don't even know exists? And I said, I was. He asked me to pray a prayer. He gave me a version of this prayer, which I've fine-tuned over time. And I'm asking you to join me In some type of at least a commitment to an open mind and an open heart, you're welcome to pray out loud or silently or not at all. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path and you for an open mind and a new experience with myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path and especially you. I've come across in my journey, some psychology that has helped me. Maslow created a hierarchy of needs, which I have modified. So I don't give him formal acknowledgement, but I'm giving him informal acknowledgement because it's about the human development and about an organic process. Obviously we build our health Physical, mental, emotional health on a foundation of physical health. Ask yourself in terms of one of those categories there, do you get enough sleep? Uh, It's not a rhetorical question in the sense that I want you to take the question and hold it and ask yourself, well, what's enough sleep, Herb? The science is pretty well conclusive. Most people need seven and a half to nine hours of sleep a night. If you're not getting that consistently on a daily basis, you're sleep deprived. And if you're sleep deprived, then in fact you're not operating at a maximal level, at an optimal level. You'll be overcompensating in some way with anger or fear or some other kind of expression of tension that will aggravate addictions perhaps, compulsions perhaps some way of compensating for the lack of energy and the lack of clarity. Just saying, it's a constant challenge for me that I use for myself to try to keep myself in balance with technology and the stress and all of the demands of our current world. Sometimes it's very difficult to get that kind of regular sleep but we're talking about living intentionally. We're talking about emotional sobriety today, self-awareness and self-esteem and self-respect. We're talking about our relationships with other people, our connection. I've adopted and adapted this model To steps 10, 11, and 12 at the top, this optimal living of human beings, self-actualization is really the practice of the development of conscience through step 10. Bill says, pay attention, watch for. It's a spiritual axiom. Whenever we're disturbed, there's something wrong with us. I didn't realize that until after I had finished the fourth and fifth step out of the big book at five years of sobriety I was 48 years old and for the very first time took responsibility for my life took a hundred percent responsibility for my thoughts and my feelings and my behavior it's a rite of passage this work codifies the normal rite of passage from childhood to adulthood that you hear about in organized religion or cultural methodologies or good therapy or good relationships or perhaps in a a healthy household where you have good role modeling. Most of us didn't have that. And we become more conscious as we practice We practice inventory in step 10. We practice consciousness in step 11. And we practice compassion in step 12, operating our lives on organic principles, principles that come up from inside of ourselves rather than outside of ourselves. One of the realizations I had was that at age 48, I was a puppet on strings. I didn't know that there were strings attached to circumstances and people. And circumstances and people determined how I valued myself. And circumstances and people determined how I reacted. It didn't come from inside of myself. I was totally at the mercy of what surrounded me outside myself. Now you've heard it many times, I'm sure in meetings or you've read it in books or in lectures on some type of human growth and development or spiritual development. The question, are you a human being seeking a spiritual experience or are you a spiritual being seeking a human experience? Powerful questions. After weeks of meditation on that, After I'd had my spiritual awakening. I came up with an answer. Yes. I am a human being seeking a spiritual experience and I am a spiritual being seeking a human experience and it's two sides of the same coin. One side is my humanity the other side is my spirituality and spirituality by my broadest of definitions is my relationship with reality. My relationship with myself and my relationship with other people. My my synonym for spirituality is relationship. Reality with a capital R in my case. That's my choice. My concept of power has changed over time. Almost every time I touch it. I I develop a new word for that, more about that later. So reflect again, in the milieu of that set aside prayer on some questions. Where is my life not working? We're digging a little bit deeper than the original questions. How effective up to this point have my efforts been? Don't judge it, just observe it. This is not about beating yourself up. This is about what's the truth. When I go to the pantry to determine what I need at the grocery store and I make a list, it's an inventory. Cereal, bananas, milk. There's no judgment there. It's just what do I want? What do I need? What don't I have? Do I really want my life to change? That's a huge question. Most of us hold on to the present consciousness and the present environment, even though it's a little painful. I've gotten used to the rock in my shoe. I've got a great callus and yeah, it bothers me a lot of times but I don't want to take the time to get rid of the rock because the rock's been with me for so long. That's a death sentence. What changes would I like? Be very clear. If you don't know where you're going, any road will do. It's really important that we have some sort of a map. What change would I like? And then one of my favorite questions in my meditation, I end my morning meditation every morning with that question. What is the invitation for the day? Normally, my daily meditation is about that day, getting guidance for that day. Sometimes I'll spend a little bit more time, maybe even a weekend, probably at least once a year. I'll spend a weekend taking a look at what's the invitation next year or what's the invitation for my life? Big questions like that. The 12-step spirituality, the 12-step methodology has really been very helpful to me. It's helped me establish a relationship with power. Roger and I were talking just before we started this uh, conversation with our gathering today. And we both agreed that we had this experience coming from our religious traditions that uh, the, one of the biggest obstacles f- for finding a relationship with reality and the truth was some of the concepts and experiences that we had from our religious tradition. I was 10 years sober before I realized that going through the work of the steps for the third time with somebody who gave me this set aside attitude and the set aside prayer and uh, an approach to step two, which I'll introduce you in a, in a little bit but I realized at that point, 10 years sober, that my concept of God was the very impediment to my relationship with the mystery. My concept that I had embraced, understood, and held for all those years was the very impediment to uh, an effective relationship with the mystery. It didn't prevent me from having two previous spiritual awakenings. So it doesn't matter what we know, and it doesn't matter what we think, and it doesn't matter how we feel, and it doesn't matter what we believe. It really matters what we do. That's the key. Action is the magic word. And steps four through seven are the beginning of the revolution of the turning from inside out. So that we begin to identify the obstacles in us, the clouds in us, to the sunlight of the spirit. One of the metaphors that Bill uses in the big book many times. The sunlight of the spirit underlying the totality of things. It's a very mystical insight. The sunlight of the spirit that underlies the totality of things. A sense of transcendence and a sense of imminence. Hundred dollar words. You can look them up and have a meditation on those words themselves. Connecting you to steps two and three in maybe a deeper way. But the obstacles in me are the clouds in me. That prevent the sunlight from shining in me to me. And obviously then through me to you. So I need some additional work. Remove those clouds in me that have come from me, but eh, remove the clouds in me that have come from my relationship and the damage I've caused to other people. And this is the journey of the rite of passage, a turning from self-centeredness. Bill says that's the nature of the spiritual malady. I understand that that's the nature of unmanageability, the second half of the first step. Read page 62. It's got two paragraphs on self-centeredness. It's the silver bullet of step one. This is the problem. This is the spiritual malady. These are the bedevilments and the way to deal with them on a daily basis is using the tools of our way of life. Steps 10, 11, and 12. A daily reprieve contingent on the use of steps 10, 11, and 12. Kind of like a rocket ship that Bill uses the analogy. I believe it's on page 25. Rocketed into the fourth dimension. Fourth dimension, that spiritual dimension. Fourth dimension, that immaterial dimension. The first three dimensions, <clears throat> height, width, and depth. You go to a 3D movie and you put glasses on so that you have this depth perception the producer intended you to have And watching the movie. But the fourth dimension is immaterial. The fourth dimension is the spiritual. Steps one through three give us a relationship with power because we enter in the bondage of self. Pathetic Herbie. In jail, in tatters. Many of you can perhaps relate, if not to the image, at least to the feeling the image represents. Certainly before you came into program... And and now if in fact you're having difficulty with your addiction, or if you're having difficulty with unmanageability, you recognize this from the Sistine Chapel. God reaching down as creator and creating human beings. Genesis in the first book in the Hebrew scripture says God created humans from the earth God created humans in God's image and likeness God created men and women it's really interesting to ponder on that just some shepherd on a hill probably 5,000 years ago speculating like we're speculating about the meaning of life and reality and was writing some words about his thoughts about it her thoughts about it Notice that the fingers are not touching. There's where the magic takes place. That's where the alchemy takes place. My willingness to reach up, God's grace to reach me. But I can't explain the touch point. Alchemy, changing iron ore into gold. It was a fictitious snake oil sales game back in the middle ages, many people fell for it, alchemy. That's my definition of spiritual awakening, spiritual experience, a change that I have never been able to precipitate on my own knowledge and effort, but that when I applied my willingness to the directions out of the big book, given to me by a person who understood those basic suggestions, I experienced spiritual math. Spiritual math in contrast to regular math. All of us in school learned that one plus one equals two. Spiritual math is what I learned when I was 48 years old. One plus one equals five. Oh, I did a lot of work, steps one through nine. But the outcome of the work, the results of the work were disproportionate to my effort and contribution to it. Is God necessary? I don't know. But some power was, some mystery was, is this a fish in water? Is this your concept? Or a wave in the ocean? Wonderful concepts, both of them. I prefer the wave in the ocean. The wave rises out of the ocean. The wave is not the ocean. The wave has its own duration and its own individuality and its own history. And eventually after three hours or 30 days, retreats back and recedes into the ocean again. I know from doing steps four through nine, that I am not God. I didn't think that I was until I saw how I was behaving in steps four through nine. It was embarrassing and humbling. And the gift was to accept that I'm just another human being, one of many. I am not God, but I am not, not God rising out of the ocean and receding into the ocean. I am not the ocean, but I am not, not the ocean. So ask yourself, what do I believe? What do I believe about power, about the mystery? Is there a higher power? I have free will, but I use my free will to go against reality, against the flow. One of the things I realized in step three is that I need to be in alignment with the flow, the turning the big book suggests is the turning to be in alignment. That word isn't in the big book, but for me, it captures the spirit of what turning is. Turning our will and our life over to the care of God. We don't turn our will and our life over to God. That's not what it says. We turn our will and our life over to the care of God. Kind of like getting in your car. It's my car, I own the keys. I have a driver's license, I know how to drive, I know where I wanna go, I just don't know how to get there. So I put the address in the GPS and then I listen to the GPS and I follow direction. That's kind of like the third step. I want to be in the flow. I want to have a relationship with this power. I want to have a healthy relationship with reality. I asked you to ask yourself what you actually believe. The question that followed that question was the question that cracked the curtain open for me for the very first time at 10 years of sobriety. And I saw that my concept of God was the very impediment to my relationship with this mystery. because my behavior did not match my belief. There was a dissonance, a lack of harmony between what I thought I believed and how I behaved. Again, embarrassing, but life-changing because once I was able to name it, I was able to then respond to it and begin to think differently and begin to behave differently. One of the questions I love to ask you to ask yourself is what relationship do you yearn for? What relationship do you yearn for with God or higher power, with the mystery or with nature, with the energy or the life force? It doesn't matter what the words are. What relationship with reality With yourself and with others, do you yearn for? Yearn, such a rich word, comes from the marrow of my soul, not just my bones, but from my very deepest part of my very being, yearn for. And in light of that concept of energy or force or power or mystery for two years i used that word mystery with a capital m join with me in this prayer a prayer of consent i call it i brought it up into current language no more these and thous. you're welcome to pray the prayer as you know it from the big book or to pray it as on the screen or Just have a moment of quiet reverence for your yearning. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you wish. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness To those I would help of your power, your love, and your way of life, may I do your will always. I'm using my will. I have free will. I'm using my will to be in alignment with reality. You could use the word with God's will. I don't. I want to be in alignment with reality as it manifests on a moment-to-moment daily basis. I need to learn how to see and to accept reality as it is. Reality, non-negotiable, immutable. Don't take it personally. It's not personal. It's just what is. This is the lesson of emotional sobriety. That's the underbelly of the prayer, the serenity prayer. What can I influence? What can't I influence? I need wisdom. This is a journey of wisdom. That is getting knowledge through experience of making mistakes and taking corrective actions. One of my teachers is Thomas Keating, a Trappist monk, and he talks about the core of goodness. This is the original face, as the Buddhists would say, or the imago dei, as the Catholics say, image of God, image and likeness. This original purity of our very being which of course is then incarnated into our body as we're born in genetics and our family culture, not our choice, but that's where we grew up, whatever that is, a family culture. And you notice the images of the Russian dolls. You see them in gift shops, nesting dolls, I think they're called. I had a Russian lady in one of my workshops who raised her hand and told me they're called matrushka, mother in Russian. But all of them are the same. They look the same and they're housed one in another just like our experiences of emotional development and psychological education. And this is the face that we present to the world. This persona, this mask, This Hollywood storefront, most of us don't know that it's a Hollywood storefront. We actually think it is the real us and we'll pay a big price to maintain that delusion until we have the experience of a fourth step. Bill says for the ego deflation at depth, ego deflation, understanding my addiction. Oh my God, it's not my fault. I'm white and I'm bald. And I'm an alcoholic. And several generations of my father and their father and their father are white and bald and alcoholic. It's just genetics. That's my story. I need to unpack my story of my family of origin. I need to unpack the emotional experiences that I had. I need to unpack the understanding and the beliefs and the motives that I have developed over time. And I'm age 48 doing this work for the very first time and understanding for the very first time that I'm 100% responsible. I'm not responsible for my family and or their actions and their impact on me. I am responsible today for my reaction to the impact of people from the outside, the impact of circumstances from the outside. It was an amazing revolution. I was startled. Up till that point, I thought I was a Renaissance man because of my background in education and delusions. I not only found that I wasn't a Renaissance man, I found that I was a Neanderthal. Using all of that knowledge and experience to beat you into submission so that I could have what I wanted. And I was taken in the rocket. Notice we get on the rocket, but then the rocket takes us to my true self. And I learned that my story, all of our stories is one where we have suffering, but can have healing where I was a victim and now I'm responsible. I'm no longer a victim. I was powerless, but now I've been empowered. I, I had a false self, a mask that I was wearing, thinking that it was who I was, and I discovered my true self. And that's a progressive discovery over time, where I found real meaning in my life. And I've been brought from the darkness to the light. So we're in this rocket ship, and we continue with steps eight and nine, and we unpack the and remove the clouds in us to our relationship with other people. Bill uses the term recovered. Go to the cover page, the title page of the big book and you will see that he says how thousands of men and women have recovered. What he means there is that we've been placed in a position of neutrality. That's a quote from the section after step nine, just before step 10. We've entered the world of the spirit and we have recovered. We're no longer inclined to, nor are we using drugs and alcohol or our addiction. We've been given the gift of neutrality, recovered. There's many approaches to the story of human development philosophy says a life of virtue religion says doing god's will psychology says getting a sense of well-being and research says it's a balance between seeking pleasure and meaning for happiness the 12-step program says to be turned from the world of self to the world of spirit spirit in the sense of the broadest definition of relationship relationship with reality relationship with myself and relationship with other people this is the seven step prayer i call it the healing prayer typically it's said after the seventh step but i like to use it in in these discussions after the ninth step i pray it every morning at the end of my morning meditation practice because of the last line Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. It's the springboard for the day. But it addresses right up front. This is the formal prayer from the big book on page 76. It addresses right up front that I'm broken. I'm going back to the maker to get fixed, my creator. Please join me in this prayer to the extent that you want to. Out loud or to yourself or just with a moment of quiet reflection. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding you may or may not have noticed that the terms uh, in the third step and in the seven step prayer are not for my happiness they're for my usefulness they're not to make me joyful they're to make me helpful and the resounding theme throughout the big book and most prayers is thy will be done With my free will, I'm choosing to place my will in alignment with my understanding of the flow of reality. I'm using my free will to be in alignment with my understanding of reality. And so what happens to pathetic Herbie is he finds freedom. But notice here in this cartoon. There's no walls, there's no ceiling, there's no floor. There's just pathetic Herbie holding bars in front of his face, thinking that he's in jail. And the real truth is you need to drop the bars. You need to drop the rock as somebody wrote a book on step six and seven and enter the world of the spirit. This is a world of of, of humanity. This is a world of us as human beings. We have a body that doesn't make us different from anything else, but we have a mind that does make us different. What makes us human? We have consciousness. We have the ability to transcend ourselves and to reflect on ourselves, to step outside of ourselves and to observe ourselves. There's no other sentient reality that we know that has that ability. And we have free will. Our will is not free with regard to our addiction. No choice. Our will is not free in terms of our thinking, obsession. Where is our will free? Our will isn't free in the sense that Bill talks about on page 62, selfish, selfish and self-centered. My will on its own power will always choose me. Bill said it in a talk. There's only two disciplines in Alcoholics Anonymous. One is God and one is alcohol. We're either going for one or they're going for the other. And on page 53 in step two, he gives us the silver bullet of step two. The silver bullet of spiritual awakening. The silver bullet of conversion and turning. God is or God isn't what is your choice. There's the function of free will. We're not free in terms of our addiction. We're not free in terms of our unmanageability. But we are free to choose God or know God. And when we, in fact, choose power other than ourself and do the work, Bill says we're placed in a position of neutrality. He calls that recovered, but he's very quick to say, even though you have physical sobriety, you're not cured. You're not cured. You have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of your spiritual condition. We're gonna take a look at what does that mean in this second piece of work that we'll do in about five minutes. I'm gonna bring this back now to stop the sharing. And um, uh, we can have some questions. If you would like to ask a question, I think if you raise your hand as uh, Tanya indicated through the reaction icon, that's a change. Zoom has changed their methodology here, as I understand it. Um, oh good, somebody found it, so it must work.
3: I wanted you to reconcile these concepts for me, if possible. The one was, okay, so you said somewhere, and I, I didn't get the exact words, but you said we take 100% responsibility for all of our stuff, right? So, or maybe 100% re- responsibility for all of our reactions. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Both, yeah, um, go ahead. Um, but I need to reconcile, my mind is trying to work on reconciling that with the, your words of done to us, not by us, but not without us. So I feel like there's like this big, like holding pattern in the middle. Like, okay, I'm taking hundred percent responsibility, but it's not gone yet. Uh, so what am I just like practicing patience? I mean, what's in between that? Cause I've talked to a lot of uh, people in my life about the transition in between and what do I do in that time while I'm waiting for it to be lifted or hoping that it gets I mean, I don't even know if it's ever going to get lifted. And I don't, I try not to get attached to the outcome of anything like that because I can't, you know, I was, I was in a step study group recently and people are like, Oh, what if it doesn't get removed? What if it doesn't get removed? And I'm like, "Hot, we have no, I have no control over what what gets removed and what stays, you know, I'd love to say that I do, uh, but I don't. So taking hundred percent responsibility of all reactions and then reconciling that with done to us, not by us, but not without us if possible. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And, and yes. And you're quite a thinker, aren't you?
3: <laughs> yes. It's a curse.
1: <laughs> so yeah. you saw the hands, you saw the fingers, right? But you saw the blank spot in between. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's the mystery. That's as far as I can go. I know that, excuse me, I hope, I don't know. I hope that there is a God that is uh willing to give me the gift without my asking for it or working for it somehow there seems to be a correlation between the precondition of my working for it Mm -hmm. so when i do this work somehow there is a connection i called it alchemy it's a mystery Mm -hmm. of that transformation done to me not by me but not without me but that's why we call it a grace, that's why we call it a gift. Mm-hmm. I'm humbled and grateful. Mm-hmm. I can't explain it, I can observe it. And in terms of the friends of you who say, Well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what have you got to lose?
3: It's for use.
1: You know, it's for use,
3: it's not for happiness. That's exactly maybe it.
1: Maybe, maybe it will work. Mm-hmm. One of the conclusions of all of the happiness books that I read from the Harvard study and the University of Pittsburgh and positive psychology, said anybody who wants to be happy, if that's their goal, they'll never be happy because happiness is not a product, it's a byproduct. Mm -hmm. Hang on, it's a byproduct of my relationship with a bigger context than myself and a byproduct of my contribution to humanity around me. Whoa, does that echo steps 11 and 12? Mm Does that echo what the Buddhists talk about, wisdom and compassion? Does that echo what the Jews talk about, love God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself? Does that echo what Jesus said to the Pharisee about his new um, testament, his new covenant that he brought? Love God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as God loves you? Mm -hmm. Sounds like a huge echo to me. Mm -hmm about human development.
3: So that's, but that's where, so the 100% responsibility piece. So I'm in my step one, I know I'm on manageability, I can see it all happening, it's all ugly, and I'm just waiting for the grace, but I just do the work anyway. I call it the actions of faith. I just do the work anyway and let it go.
1: It doesn't matter what you know, it doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you feel, it doesn't matter what you believe, it does matter what you do, and when you do differently, you will know differently, and you will feel differently, and you will be different. Okay. This man said to me, and uh, after I had learned a little bit about meditation, we'll talk about that a little bit later, and I went to him for some direction on meditation. He's not in a 12-step program, but he's a deeply spiritual man. He said, Herb, you're responsible for the effort, and the results are none of your business.
4: Yep.
3: Ugh damn
1: damn terrible news although if you're not getting the results that you'll hope for and expected take a look at your thoughts and your feelings and your motives and your actions because there is a correlation there's not a causative necessarily (laughs) here that's why we're using grace as a as the term that says we really can't fill in the formula we really can't fill in the balance of the of the of the observation there's something here that totally escapes us mysteriously how come i was given freedom from alcohol without asking for it
3: my point exactly and others
1: on this call have struggled and done the work and willing and well intentioned and it's and they're still just challenged all the time it's especially true in the food addiction area it's a. It's just a, the worst of all of the of the addictions to deal with. I believe it's the hardest one, because we have to eat two, three times, four times a day, and therefore we have to, as they say, face the tiger. On a regular basis, I don't have to with uh, alcohol was removed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. You bet.
4: The question, what is the source of your current suffering? So the question I have, what if you don't know the source?
1: Yeah, it's a great How question. can then? find
4: it and can I find it?
1: Well, okay. Those are all great questions. Yeah. I'm assuming that you're here because you have total confidence that you can find it. But yeah. now you have some questions to ponder and percolate. Yeah. 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 Let it cook, let it cook.
4: As long as you promise me, I'll find it.
1: (laughs) Well, if you continue looking for it effectively, especially if you're doing steps four through nine, then you will in fact find it. I think you're in one of the workshops, aren't you?
4: I am, yeah. Yeah,
1: I thought so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you, you, you stay buckled up because you're in for a big surprise
4: two questions one one was what's the name of the monk that you mentioned
1: Thomas uh, Thomas Keating Thomas Thomas Keating he died about two years ago um, but he's got wonderful books on centering prayer his basic text is um, open mind open heart it's a it's a wonderful complement to the step 11 practice
4: Sleep is my issue. I'm staying away from food. Uh, it's a God's gift, truly, truly. Never imagined that. Um, but sleep is my struggle. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. there are circumstances in the house as you heard. Um, my daughter come in. Um, but but I'm also not doing it myself as well as I could. Yeah.
1: But I I know, I know, I know the struggle. Um, and um it's that's your that's your challenge, isn't it? To find yes. to find a solution to that, yep. Yes. It, okay. <laughs> that's that's your that's your struggle to find a solution to that. Yeah. Yep.
5: Okay.
6: Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Optimal living and my current source of of suffering um, have to do with um, learning. To restructure my my daily lifestyle and my suffering right now is you know this patience and as I learn to self-govern you know there's there's a, a lot I'm, I'm unlearning in order to learn and yeah. I, I've created a, a schedule and I'm I realize it's not going to happen overnight you know but I'd like to wake up at this time and have my morning sadhana meditation, et cetera, and dot, dot, dot. But I guess my question is, if I know this is what I need for all optimal living and to best serve, to continue my steps 10, 11, 12, and I'm starting to feel impatient, I'm, I'm just wondering if that grows with emotional sobriety or if, if you'll be addressing that or if you have any thoughts on that, thank you
1: i heard a phrase the other day life is a practice oh my god that just captures it i said that step 10 is a practice i said step 11 is a practice i said step 12 is a practice practice these principles in all our affairs yeah but then he gave me this global life is a practice oh that means i'm practicing and and of course if i practice and i have a good teacher these are this important and i have good solid instructions and if i'm relatively consistent and diligent i will get better someday they'll take the training wheels off some days i'll get a bigger bicycle you know that kind of thing i'll just get better at it so the two things that i really recommend are essential number one is a teacher you need somebody who has information and who uh, has experience, information and an experience, and would be an accountability partner. To me, that's the most critical. I'll talk a little bit about it later on also. But that's the most critical, as well as prayer. And then just you show up and you do the best you can. And you learn from your mistakes. You do not allow your mistakes to name you. Oh, that's just a mistake. All right. You don't allow your mistakes to name you. That's, that's critical in this journey. Does that help? At the same time, I know there's 30 or 40% of you out there. You may not be one of them, but there are 30 40 or 40% of you that are perfectionists. <laughs> and that's just not helpful. Oh. No, we're, we're, we're human beings. We're human beings, flesh and blood. And when we're stuck with a knife, we will bleed. And it doesn't matter what we think and know and feel and want, it's just reality. And so uh, one of my colleagues, and you'll be hearing from us on February 20th, Dr. Alan Berger and I will be doing a workshop on emotional sobriety. He's a clinical psychologist with 49 years of sobriety. And um, he said, we. Let the best in us manage the worst in us, and I just think, "Oh my God, that is so wonderful and so gentle." I let the best in me manage the worst in me. That's all it is.
6: Yeah. I love that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so, I so feel already. I think I'm going to put that on this above my schedule on the fridge.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love. Yeah, the best. and then every once in a while, you might even pray the set aside prayer about your schedule. Let the
6: best in me. What was it again? Let
1: the best in me manage the worst in me. Let the best in me speak to the worst in me. Or let the worst in me speak to the best in me. There's so many ways. And that's a meditation even in itself, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
5: Wonderful.
6: Okay, thank you.
1: So we enter the world of the spirit. You have to ask yourself, at least I do. If we're just now entering the world of spirit, where have we been? Well, we've been in steps one through nine, the world of self. And now we're turned. Hear my vocabulary. We do a lot of work. But we're taken over the goal line. We're taken by the rocket ship. We're taken by the rocket ship into that fourth dimension. And I like to see it as an orbit. The rocket ship goes up. I I watched um, Hidden Figures about five years ago. It made such an impression on me. Not only is it a really good movie about the development of the space program and some women's contribution to it, but it also gave me a very clear understanding of rocket ships with stages. And the point of the rocket ship is to be in orbit. So we go in, in we get into the rocket ship because we're looking for a relationship with other with a capital O and others with a small O. That turning from self-centeredness, the Obvious antidote to self centeredness is other centeredness in the healthy sense, not in the adult child sense, not in the coda sense, not in the codependent sense. No, 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 no. In the sense of, I talked about the formula for happiness, a uh, relationship with reality, a context bigger, meaning bigger than myself and a relationship of contribution to the human beings in my community. Steps 11 and 12, if you will. That's the orbit. I'm in a relationship with the light, capital L. I'm not cured, I have a daily reprieve based on a practice of step 10, emotional sobriety. Based on step 11, improved understanding. That's the whole point of step 11. Step 11 isn't to feel good. Step 11 isn't to have uh, any type of ecstasy. Step 11 is for guidance to improve my mind's ability to listen and to understand and to take direction. More about that in a little bit. To improve our consciousness step 12 is to enlarge our effectiveness in other words i can know better i just can't do better the whole point of unmanageability is that i know better but i don't do better and i need power to give me the effectiveness to be able to not only know better but to do better to improve my compassion. Notice what the person who developed my slides does. She's 45 years sober in the program and came through several of my workshops and is a real artist and understands my work and my needs. And every once in a while she provides a slide for me and doesn't tell me all about it. And she surprised me with this one because this is what I had outlined. And then she put in this this orbiting around the light. So wonderful. This is our way of life. Bill says it very simply. Step 10 is an inventory. This prayer of St. Francis captures the word channel. Inventory clears the clouds, uh, the obstacles in us, Meditation fills the channel with light, with life, with energy, with grace, with power. This whole journey is about not having sufficient power on my own, but having sufficient power available to me and deep down inside of me. If you, When you read that appendix two that I suggested, the difference between spiritual awakening and spiritual experience... Notice the crossover phrase from page 567 to 568. Unsuspected inner resource. Unsuspected. I didn't know that this power, this light was deep inside of me. Unsuspected inner deep down inside of me. A resource. This power in me is not me, but it is available to me and it is not not me and that's worthy of a meditation and then we allow the channel to be emptied because it's overflowing with this power and that's called service although i've dropped that word in relationship to step 12 in a meditation several years ago the wee small voice said to me drop the word service herb it's too sophisticated substitute the word help because help has earth and dirt in it, you will be frustrated. You will be, your patients will be challenged. You will spend time, you will be inconvenienced if in fact you truly want to help people. Not just people in AA, not just people in a 12 step program but wherever i am the radius of the environment that i'm in how can i contribute to that community emotional sobriety sobriety of course means abstinence at the very base root freedom from our addiction and we we don't have a choice of that we have a choice to hope for it and we have a choice to work for it and once we receive it, finishing those nine steps, we can be grateful knowing that the gift was disproportionately larger than our contribution to it. Now, if in fact you have uh, abstinence, do you have a sense of well being? Do you have a sense of contentment? Are you satisfied with your life, your purpose? your daily living circumstances? Or are you restless, irritable and discontent? Words from the doctor's opinion. That's what I discovered when I was five years sober doing this work. I was sober, my life had improved because I wasn't drinking but I was still restless, irritable and discontent but I didn't know it because I'd always been restless, irritable, and discontent. I had no measurement to contrast it to until in fact I began to get some harmony, some contentment, some peace, some serenity as a result of doing this work. Once again, it helped me to understand emotional sobriety to understand how we're built. We have three brains that were developed over millions, maybe billions of years that first brain is the physical level that we talked about in the Maslow hierarchy of needs chart, that physical survival to eat and to sleep and to drink and to mate at the lizard brain level. That just makes us a vegetable, a brainstem, that first brain millions or billions of years later, more development, more evolution, and we develop the animal instincts of the emotional survival system, the limbic system, fight, flight, and freeze. These are the instincts, Bill says in, in chapter four in the 12 and 12, instincts gone awry, fight, anger, flight, fear, freeze, camouflage, dishonesty, hiding, All of us have all of them. All of us have one that's dominant. Fear comes out of our head. The anticipation of something in front of us. Anger comes out of our gut. The memory of something behind us. Freeze comes out of our heart. In the moment How do we hide from being discovered? Maintaining that false self, that mask, that persona, that Hollywood storefront. Now we can think about it because we have a cortex. And we can do something about it because we have free will. This is the thing that makes us specifically human. That we can know better and that we can do better. I have the ability... With my mind, I have the ability with my free will. But where is my mind handicapped? And where is my free will handicapped? That's the whole point of step one. The major point here is, and one of the participants indicated, that this is our task, is to self-regulate. That we need to use our knowledge and our willpower to manage our emotions and our instincts. Addicts, and many human beings who are not addicts, allow their instincts to manage their lives or their emotions to manage their lives. And of course, that never ends well. One of the Russian philosophers, Gurdjieff said, most human beings are asleep dreaming that they're awake. I love short, succinct wisdom sayings like that. I was asleep dreaming that I was awake until I did a process that began to wake me up. But Bill says that we need to continue to deflate that ego. And Dr. Tebow, Harry Tebow, who was a psychiatrist that worked with Bill, both personally as a therapist, as well as professionally in helping the construction of early AA. He said, Bill got it right. The first nine steps are for the deflation of the ego at death. That's it. The first nine steps are for the deflation of the false self. We're not talking about that healthy ego that the therapists try to rebuild for us in reframing our history. No, no, no. We're talking about the false self, the ego, the self-centeredness. He said, Bill got it right. The first nine steps are for the deflation of the ego at depth, but the ego has an uncanny way of recreating itself. You remember the image I had of leaning against the dimmer switch because the dimmer switch is on a greased axle, and it's, it's hardwired to go backwards. If I'm not leaning against the dimmer switch, metaphorically, if I'm not leaning against the dimmer switch, pushing it gently forward one click at a time, and I, I, I all I do is rest, it clicks backwards one click at a time. It's not noticeable at first, but it's the lens through which I look that's distorted that eventually will create emotions that disturb me. In step 10 in the 12 and 12 bill says, it's a spiritual axiom. Whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. God, I hated that. I heard it in my second year of sobriety. I hadn't done any real work in the steps yet. So I hadn't made any emotional or intellectual progress in terms of self-awareness. But I heard that. It's a spiritual axiom. Whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. No, 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 you haven't met my wife. You haven't met my father. You haven't met my mother. You haven't met my bosses. Because those all all of those people disturbed me. Well, when I did a fourth step, I saw that they were the people that did what they did and they were not the problem. I thought they were the problem But they weren't the problem. The problem was my reaction to them. They were not the problem. They were just doing what they do. And I took it personally. One of my friends says, don't take reality personally. It's non-negotiable. It's immutable. You can't change it. Reality doesn't have any investment in who you are, what you know, what you think, and what you want, and how you feel reality is neutral it just is what it is oh my god if we get that there's freedom in that because we learn to follow what bill says as a proscription in this step 10 he said watch for resentment and fear and dishonesty and selfishness those are the four things in step four those are the manifestations of those instincts gone awry resentment fight anger resentment coming from the latin sentire to feel re in front of it means to feel it again the anger i had a deep lava flow hot red lava flow volcanic rage for my father at age 48 He was dead 12 years. I had worked in therapy. I had worked in all kinds of self-help and other mechanisms to attempt to deal with this deep rage because I knew that it was a poison in my system, but it had not been removed. When I did the work in the big book, two different times, the first time in 1988, I saw the truth that I was responsible for my reaction And in 1991, a man helped me unpack for the first time the third column where I saw my beliefs about fathers and about sons and about the world and about how quote should be an easy way to come to grips with what you believe is hear yourself think or say or feel should. I should, they should, we should, the world should should reveals your beliefs take a look at it it may be healthy it may be realistic and then again it may be just the opposite of those don't prejudge it it gives you an opportunity to look at your beliefs fear that instinct in us for flight for running for survival purposes anxiety for the future dishonesty that ability to camouflage to hide so that you don't reveal who you are and who you are not so that you get what you think you want to get and keep what you think you have by misrepresenting reality to yourself and to other people and bill says the root of all of this Read page 62 in the big book, that top paragraph. Selfishness, self-centeredness, this is the root. Selfishness, dash self-centeredness, exclamation point. He doesn't even have a verb. It's, It's the silver bullet of step one of unmanageability. And then take a look on page 52 at the second paragraph, I call it the bedevilment paragraph because it describes the behavioral manifestation of self-centeredness. He calls them bedevilments. And when you look that word up is to be controlled as if by devils. That's where that image of puppets on a string come. I don't mean any religious bedevilment concept to be controlled as if by devils. I'm speaking poetically and metaphorically But in the same spirit, this work is exorcism to identify and to remove, surgically remove the clouds in us, the cancer in us that is preventing us from having a life of meaning and a life of purpose and a life of contentment. And Bill says in the big book, when this happens, notice he says when this happens. He doesn't say if. That's why the 12 and 12, it gives us such clarity. It calls it a spot check inventory, step 10. We don't do it at night. We don't do it in writing. You're welcome to do that. It's not the spirit of it. It's not the purpose of step 10. Step 10 is a tool that we wear on our hip, like keeping our phone next to us. When I'm disturbed, I embrace the tool. I pray because I'm powerless. The first instruction is to pray immediately, to discuss it with somebody immediately. We pray because we're powerless. We discuss it with somebody because we're human. We make an amends if, in fact, we've created harm. Not every time do we create harm, but more often than not, if I'm disturbed, I'm going to disturb somebody else. I just pass it on. I'm I'm contagious. We're very, very familiar these days and sensitive to contagious behavior, contagious virus. One of my other teachers is Richard Rohr, a Franciscan priest, R-O-H-R. He says we either transform it or we transmit it. Character defects. We either transform them or we transmit it. I take that actually to a much larger context. We're always transmitting. I'm either transmitting the bedevilments, the spiritual malady, my unmanageability, or I'm transmitting the spiritual solution, the light. the grace, the gift. And the final piece in this four-part methodology is to turn your thoughts to helping somebody else. Now, notice what Bill says in the big book there on page 84. We resolutely turn our thoughts to helping somebody else. He doesn't say we actually help anybody really interesting but he also knows probably instinctively intuitively as sort of a student of human behavior that if in fact we're thinking about helping somebody else eventually we will in fact be invited to and an actually take action to help somebody else the whole point of it though is to turn from our self-centeredness to other-centeredness the the most simple conversion if my malady, my human malady, my spiritual malady, this unmanageability is self centeredness, the antidote is just the opposite other centeredness in, hel- in, in the most helpful way. The Alanons have a reaction. They say, Well, I'm always trying to help other people until we have a fairly lengthy and maybe testy conversation challenging their motives and their beliefs about what they're doing in terms of helping. And are they really helping for somebody else's benefit or are they attempting to control the environment because they know best? Or they want to be happy because if everybody else is tranquil and happy then they will be happy. Underneath the underneath the underneath typically are corrupt motives and beliefs and we don't know that we don't know and we can't see that we don't see until we do. And then it's embarrassing. But it's that helpful cathartic embarrassment that allows us to take different actions, to make a decision to change our attitudes, to make a decision to change our actions. It's wonderful. AA stands for Alcoholics Anonymous, but the change that is given to us as a result of these steps is also a a a change in attitude and a change in actions the results are wonderful forgiveness look it up in the dictionary it's the opposite of resentment where i'm not harboring this anger or this disturbed feeling i'm actually releasing it look at my hand i looked up the definition of forgiveness in a dictionary when i finished this work of the ninth step Look at my hand, a decision to release them. That's what forgiveness is. In my way of life document, there's a uh, meditation, a three-page meditation on forgiveness. It's very dense, but it captures the process of steps four through nine in terms of the process of coming to the gift of releasing them. And as the prayer of St. Francis says, to the extent that we forgive them we are forgiven and as the lord's prayer says to the extent that we release them from their debts we are released from our debts ancient wisdom a paradox and you've heard it in so many other contexts the more i give it away the more i keep it that makes no sense and yet when you have an experience of it it makes total sense In contrast to fear, trust is the antidote. Read page 68 in the big book when he does the fear inventory. It's not mutually exclusive. It's a reciprocal relationship, like a teeter-totter. The more fear I have, the less trust I have. The more trust I have, the less fear I have. A reciprocal relationship. They coexist within me. I'm a human being, to the extent I'm emphasizing my fear, I'm demonstrating lack of trust of the universe, of a power, of myself, of other people. To the extent that I'm peaceful and in trust, I'll have less fear, obvious. Opposite of dishonesty is honesty. My sponsor said, I want you to be transparent, Herb. I didn't actually know what he was talking about. I asked him, what do you mean by that? He said, I want your insides and your outsides to match. I still didn't know what he meant in my first year recovery. So I said, yes, anyway. But he had me hold myself accountable every day, telling him every day what I was thinking, feeling, and doing. Over time, he trained me to be accountable. Over time, he trained me to be transparent. Over time, I got better. The dimmer switch went up and the lights got brighter. I've chosen a word as the opposite of selfishness is love. It's a hackneyed word, meaning that it's used so many times we become brain dead to its meaning. It's a powerful word when you understand its meaning or various meanings. I looked up lots of different words in pursuit of trying to get a really good definition because i mean i love my morning coffee i love my children i love my grandchildren i uh, love my friends i love the program but i've just used loved in in so many different connotations there with different meanings the best meaning i've come up with at this point Unconditional love is a good term, but it's, again, another hackneyed term, meaning used so often we become brain dead to it. But I looked up the word altruism. You might want to do that. Doing some benefit for somebody else with no possible benefit for yourself. Whoa, that comes as close to love as I can come. That comes as close to unconditional love As I can understand, unconditional with no conditions, very difficult for a human being to be unconditional because by very nature of being material and finite, we are conditional, but it's a wonderful vision and ideal and goal not to beat ourselves up with in the perfectionist standpoint, but to hold a standard of I am willing to make an effort to and willing to be taken to. Hear the gift and hear my action, hear my willingness and hear the grace. Doing something for the benefit of somebody else with no possible benefit for yourself. This is emotional sobriety. Now I have a term in there, forgiveness, and I do a entire workshop on forgiveness. Uh, I don't intend on giving you a deep dive into that, but it's forgiveness is a process. My experience is it's a process from step four through nine, a process in which we make a decision to release them and have an experience of being released. Forgiveness is a process. It's a change. A change in my decision, a change in my attitude, a change in my feeling, but mostly a change in my behavior. As I said, a change in the attitude. Accepting reality for what reality is, just as it is. I'm not judging reality. I'm trying to navigate it. And I change my actions in order to be able to navigate it properly. In my meditation, I wrote the meditation about 25, 30 years ago, but I was looking at it a couple years ago and I was given the gift in the reflection. A forgiving person has no past. That's my experience with the completion of step nine. But an unforgiving person has no future. A forgiving person has been released from their past. An unforgiving person is condemned to repeat it. Emotional sobriety is balance, self-regulation, learning from our mistakes, not allowing them to name us, learning from our mistakes so that we grow in wisdom and and the ability not to continue to make them. All right, the next piece of work will be uh, optimal living. And so let's... uh, see if we have some, I'm gonna stop the sharing here and come back and we'll have some more conversation about what I just shared about step 10 and emotional sobriety. If you have any questions or just comments that you wanna make or any experience that you've had with uh, what I've talked about or what I didn't talk about in this area of completing works, certainly one through nine, but more specifically step 10 and emotional sobriety
7: just wonder if you could explain the difference between emotional sobriety and spiritual sobriety or awakening
1: yeah it's it's fairly arbitrary but i see emotional sobriety as step 10 that is the inventory that cleans out the channel that is me And spiritual sobriety is the relationship with power and the relationship with other people, steps 11 and 12. Uh, It's totally relative and arbitrary on my part. In fact, that's why this is the first presentation that I've actually introduced new words. Um, Optimal living is the way I'm approaching it now for steps 10, uh, excuse me, uh, steps 11 and 12. Uh, As a contrast to spiritual sobriety, but my intent is originally emotional sobriety is about step 10 and uh, eliminating the obstacles in ourselves through inventory uh, so that we can have spiritual sobriety, which is our relationship with the power that is in us and uh, our relationship with other people through service and helping. Does that make Thank sense?
7: you. So yes, and yeah, it makes sense. And and also, uh, just one last question: um, If you go on antidepressive, uh, does that mean that you can't get access to spiritual or emotional sobriety?
1: Good Lord, no! It might be the key that opens the door to it. Yeah, you know, I'm very much supportive of therapy and medication as prescribed by professionals though. Um, People who are in the program who opine about medication or therapy, and they're not uh, physicians and or pharmacists or therapists, um, quite frankly, I would ignore. Um, Bill says we, we, we respect doctors and we respect therapists and we respect religion. And we go to them to find resources that are not available through the 12-step program. There's a book written by a clinical psychologist in Northern California, Wellwood, and um, he talks about spiritual bypass. Many people go to religion and or 12-step or God rather than face dealing with the emotional disturbances that they have or the physical needs that they have, uh, they 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 have some fantasy that God will provide, and yeah, God uh, doesn't fix broken legs, God doesn't fix uh, diabetes. Those are medication and or physicians' jobs, and and of course that's a much longer conversation. Than I'm willing to have right now, but I'm giving it kind yeah. of a succinct approach. Does that make sense?
7: That helped me a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, my own my my wife was resistant to taking medication, antidepressant, until she was suffering for so many years. She and her sponsor insisted. She finally took it and was stabilized and healthy and happy and. And after about a year, she said, okay, I got this now, I can get back off of it. And she went off her medication and she went back down in the toilet. She knew that she had a chemical deficiency that needed the antidepressant medication. Unfortunately, many therapists and psychologists and and psychiatrists uh, are way too liberal with medications and it's the easier, softer way, especially for addicts. And so the real hard work of the steps is prevented when in fact uh, it might be partly the part of the solution to somebody um, like it was for me, for instance, in terms of straightening out some of my character disorders. Therapy was good for a little bit, but uh, the 12 step process was extremely effective. So there's a balance here, yeah. Yeah,
7: but uh, yes, because uh... I just got sacked from my sponsor which has been very helpful and very good but she said I can't uh, have you on board if you are going on antidepressive because you can't get the spiritual awakening so that was helpful to yeah. clear that out
1: Well, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be I don't know the circumstances but I'm going to no, be, no. I'm going to be black and white yeah you need a new sponsor she's she's ignorant sorry
7: yeah that's okay it helped me thank you because i don't i don't need to feel shame
1: (laughs) thank you no no and 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 um suggestions like that hurt people and they're and they're just not based on facts they're based on opinions and and prejudice so i have no tolerance for that personally you can probably imagine from my tone I have some opinions
0: for fear flight and freeze yes and you had a definition for each one of them it's kind of a short little where fear comes from i I, the only one i caught was uh, freeze comes out of our heart but i missed where fear and flight come from
1: yeah okay and i'm coming from a particular interpretation in psychology of a personality theory called the enneagram e-n-n-e-a-g-r-a-m and that anger is in the gut fear is in the head and hiding and shame are in the heart and i'm, I'm connecting those to those instincts of fight flight and freeze yeah
0: oh okay all right okay thank
5: you right. thank yeah. you yeah okay i have a question about the practice of doing 10 steps I've heard so many lectures and heard so many people speak about the way you need to do a 10th step. Right, And, you know, do you discuss it with a sponsor, with a fellow in your own fellowship? Can you discuss it with anyone? Um, Yes. Is it okay to do it by text message or does it have to be in person? All of that kind of stuff. What can
1: you do? What will you do? These are my, I'm a pretty practical guy. I have no rules. I have no Zippo, zero rules. That's the spirit of the fellowship. Bill said there's only two disciplines. One is alcohol and one is God. We're either going for the one or we're going for the other. We need guidelines. We need suggestions, but we don't need any rules. All right. And so if you take a look at page 84 in the big book, it says... (laughs) We ask God at once to remove them. So we're talking to God immediately. We discuss them with someone immediately, someone, whoever is available. And if text works for you, terrific. I personally of a a generation that I think uh, audible conversation with a person on the phone is probably more my style. Um, I've, I've adopted the, sex, uh, the text. I, I like the text uh, uh, as a way of immediate communication um, and it might be sufficient and you just have to see if it works for you in terms of reducing the tension that comes up from that creates the disturbance. Um, we make amends quickly and then meaning if you're at work, you, you need to use common sense there might be something that needs to wait till after you're finished work. Or if you're in a family gathering, you need to use common sense. Um, I happened to be at work and I would engage my secretary who had been with me a long time. And normally she was the brunt of my insensitivity and lack of consideration. So it was pretty easy to address it directly with her. We'd had the conversation and uh, I asked her actually to be forthright and she said, she would say, Mr. Kagan, you're being a jerk. (laughs) And then I would go, oh my God, thank you so much. And I would do a little prayer and we would have a little conversation. And then I would look around to see if there was somebody that I could help there. And if not, certainly later on, I would discuss it with my sponsor, but not in the work environment, because I'm paid to work, not to pay to take care of my spiritual life. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But you had other questions maybe?
5: But when it comes to the discussion part, are you supposed to do like a fourth? Go through where was I resentful, where was I dishonest, where was I self
1: You're making too big a deal of it. You're making too big a deal of it. The fourth step is this deep dive. Mm -hmm. The tenth step is just a quick hit. I, I, I mean, if you wanted to do some work when you get home uh for instance i've done column three and column four on some things that deeply disturbed me over a two or three week period i found that the tenth step didn't work so i had to do a laser focused step four column three column four on it and then followed up with with my uh step five etc through step nine um but on a laser focus basis mm-hmm. but i'm so practical don't get into formulas don't get into rigidity don't get into rules what's the what's the game here what's the goal here
5: i want to be relieved of all of this upset that's in my
1: life freedom
5: yeah
1: what gets you to freedom and that'll vary depending on what the bondage is right Mm -hmm. yeah that's great okay thank you yeah yeah thank you so much for your questions Thank you so much for your participation. Continue with your uh, making notes of your questions and we'll uh, get back to them. So what about this optimal living business? And see, I kept the word spiritual sobriety. What does it mean at the basis? It means being turned to other centered I want to have a healthy relationship with reality. I want to have a healthy relationship with the world, the people in the world around me. How do I do that? I see it as a coin, as I mentioned. Step 11, to improve my conscious contact. That's a word that's right in the step itself, isn't it? To improve my consciousness. To improve my relationship with fill in the blank what are you trying to have a relationship with what meaning does it have for you what was your step two decision god is or god isn't what is your concept of power step three what is your relationship that you yearn for deeply See, steps two and three are the assumptions of step 11 to improve my conscious contact with the God as I understand it. Many times I use the words when I'm in situations like this, having a conversation with the God of my not understanding. I don't pretend to understand God. I cannot encompass God in my mind and my understanding. My mind is finite and whatever this reality is, it's infinite. It doesn't have a beginning, it doesn't have an end. That's the assumption that I make about it. I cannot put the ocean in a bucket. The bucket's too small, I'm the bucket, the ocean is a power other than myself. I can lean into it. I can embrace it. I just don't understand it. I will never understand it. I'm okay with that. That's why I use the term mystery. Enlarge. I use the term enlarge for step 12. In the work on the obsession of the mind, pages 35 to 37 in the big book, Bill talks about Jim, the car salesman, who put a little whiskey in his milk. And it says on page 35, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Well, he doesn't tell us what that means. He failed to enlarge his spiritual life. What does that mean? He didn't go to church? What does that mean? He didn't pray and meditate? No. Later on, I learned, because I became more familiar with the book and Bill's story on page 14, at the very bottom of page 14, he says, For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, oh, through work and self-sacrifice for others, oh, what he means by enlarge our spiritual life is that we help other people. We improve our consciousness through meditation, but we enlarge our spiritual life through helping other people. So that's why I use that term enlarge there. And I see that Bill talks about in different places. I think it's page 125, about keeping your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground. There's a vertical dimension there, your head in the clouds, step 11 meditation there's a horizontal dimension there your feet on the ground helping in the community that you find yourself whatever that community is we're at the center point of that horizontal and vertical symbol that's where we live in the present moment improving our consciousness and expanding our compassion. Those are the two words I used in the Maslow hierarchy of needs as I converted it there to the model for human development to be other centered. See, it's a small O, other meaning other human beings. Bill says we grow in understanding and effectiveness. We grow in understanding through our meditation practice We grow in effectiveness through our practice of helping other people. I think I might have mentioned to you that I had studied to be a Catholic priest for seven years back in the late 50s early 60s. And I was in the monastery for seven years. Seven years of silence. Seven years of daily meditation. And when I hung up my black robe in 1964 and left, I didn't meditate again for another 25 years. What's that? Well, that's a man who put on the robes of a monk and said he was a monk and monks meditate. And when I took the robe off, I'm not a monk, so I don't meditate. You see, it had no impact because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any value of it. In 1988, four years sober, the man took me through the steps and had me outline the material in step 11. I do a four hour or three or three or four hour workshop on meditation. I think I did it already and it's uh, recorded. The point is that I needed this man to give me direction as to how to unpack step 11 in the big book pages 85 to 88 it's two and a half pages it has become the most profound and effective and accurate description of what meditation is and how to do it that i've ever come across hear me please that i've ever come across now it's a skeleton it's a bare bones i did the outline and you can see it there what you do in the evening you do inventory what do you do in the morning, you do meditation. What do you do all day long, you be conscious, you pay attention, you be awake, you pause when disturbed. But my most favorite practice is my morning practice. He said, look up the word meditation in a dictionary. My dictionary says directed thinking. You see, I had studied contemplative practice. I had studied buddhist meditation i had gone to transcendental meditation trainings i didn't really know what meditation meant in the dictionary the english dictionary said the webster's dictionary said meditation is directed thinking and when i studied the big book bill says upon awakening we ask god to direct our thinking this man said that's a prayer herb anytime we're talking to God that's a prayer prayer is my talking to God meditation is my listening to God. It's a simple prayer herb," he said God please direct my thinking. Bill tells us in the big book, then we think about the 24 hours ahead we consider our plans for the day. He doesn't tell us what that means. I made up a definition think about the 24 hours ahead is what am i going to do today my doing my activities i radar sweep my calendar to see if there's anything amiss there in terms of my spiritual principles and my human development there's no blips on the radar screen then he says consider your plans for the day bill is not redundant this is a different direction he doesn't tell us what it is but i make up a definition consider your plans for the day i say okay if thinking about my day is about my doing my activity then considering my day is about my being who am i meant to be today and normally i look at yesterday's character defects i was unkind yesterday today i'll choose to be kinder or at least pay attention to it Yesterday, I was insensitive. Today, I'll be more sensitive. Yesterday, I was distracted. Today, I'll be more mindful. And then I listen. The key that's not in the big book, that was the key that unlocked the practice of meditation for me, so that I have had a consistent morning meditation for 32 years, was that direction this man gave me we ask God to direct our thinking, then we begin thinking, but we listen to our thinking. We don't listen with our ears. There's no audible direction. We listen with our heart. We listen with our gut. We listen to our thoughts. We listen to our sensations and our feelings and any awareness. This is the whole point of being silent. Silent so that we can hear the tiny whispering sound. You hear all the time, the translation as the wee small voice, that's a mistranslation. I went back last year to take a look at the original translation. It's the tiny whispering sound that might sound too subtle to you, but it actually made a significant difference to me. It's not a voice. It's a resonance of some kind in my consciousness, in my awareness. And when I'm still and I'm listening, I get intuitions, I get inspirations, I get instincts. All different words to talk about the different sources of awareness, of consciousness. And I'm listening for guidance. The key in meditation in the step 11... There's other forms, but in step 11 in the big book, meditation is listening. We listen in response to the prayer. God, please direct my thinking. Then I begin thinking. I don't try to quiet the mind. I try to contain the mind. Here in Southern California, in fact, all through California, we've had awful fires normally in the autumn, in the fall, and in the spring sometimes. A fire is horribly destructive when it's not contained. But a fire in my fireplace, a fire in my stove, that's either very warming or aesthetic or, in fact, very practical, cooking my meals, a contained fire. That's the same with emotions. Emotions are signals to us that something is going on. Pay attention. If it's an emotion of suffering, we need an intervention to stop the suffering. If it's an emotion of joy, we need to embrace that and foster that. Emotions are signals that give us direction. In meditation, our thoughts our awarenesses our signals treat them as an invitation what's my invitation today for today's work what's my invitation that i'm hearing for my life for my destiny for the meaning in my life for my purpose those are big thoughts that might take a day's meditation or a a weekend retreat or longer retreat i've been on 10-day silent retreats with those kinds of thoughts. But my morning meditation is very practical. It's anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. And I sit in the presence of God, in the presence of power, as I am aware of that morning. And I listen deeply after I pray the set-aside prayer, after I pray the third-step prayer. Sometimes I keep a notepad next to me so that if, in fact, there is something there that I want to remember, I make a note of it. And then at some point, I put my pen and paper down and I just sit in the presence to be transformed. That's a centering prayer contemplative practice, which is a subject for a different day. It's outside the scope of step 11, but is totally complementary and supplemental to the practice of improving our conscious contact bill says in the 12 and 12 that you need a value proposition we don't do meditation to be healthy and serene we don't do meditation to have better relationships we don't do meditation for our own happiness Those will be byproducts, but what we do meditation for is our spiritual health. It's not biology, it's not psychology, it's not, it is theology. Many teachers talk about a prayer practice in the morning and a prayer practice in the afternoon. My own spiritual director said there's only two mistakes that you can make not show up and leave early there's only two mistakes don't judge your meditation just show up and do it it's a method not a technique the big book has a method a very specific method of praying and then listening it's an action based on faith that steps two and step three are are not knowledge or certitude. they're not a feeling the real challenge for addicts especially is that put your feelings aside because meditation is not about feeling. If you feel good, that's a bonus. If you feel the presence of God, that's a bonus. Most often than not, you'll feel nothing or sometimes you'll even feel negativity, but we show up and we stay there and we do our practice anyway. We practice our practice. It's not about a feeling, it's about an awareness. It's about an experience, not a task. This man said to me, and I hope you can hear it because it changed my relationship with meditation. He didn't know anything about the 12-step community, but he heard my description of my journey of powerlessness in step one and the finding of power in steps two through nine And my practice of a relationship with power in step 11. And he said, Herb, you're a very task-oriented person, aren't you? I said, well, yes, I am. He said, well, meditation is not a task to be accomplished. It's a process and an experience. He says, I want you to think this thought. You're as powerless over your spiritual life as you are over alcohol, having no power at all. You're as powerless over your prayer meditation as you are over alcohol, having no power at all. Sit in the presence of power, humbled by your powerlessness, and listen for guidance, and pray and hope for transformation. He gave it two components. I want to unpack that for you just a little bit. Listen for guidance but sit there in the presence humbled by your powerlessness and hope for transformation. It's like sitting in the sunlight. How much work do you have to do to get a tan? I know there are some negative aspects of this, but let's just keep it on the positive stance in terms of getting a suntan and not be concerned about the cancer and suntan oil and all the rest of the things that we need to talk about. But let's just stay with that. All I have to do is show up and be present to the sun. And he said, you cannot make a tulip grow by pulling on it. It's not about your effort. It's about your intention, intention and attention. Pay attention with your mind and pay attention to your intention. Your motives and your beliefs. It's an act of faith. A decision without any certitude, a decision without any feeling, but a decision that's based on action. And then we're taken to step 12, a change. Spiritual awakening, as I mentioned right at the beginning, a change in the way we think and feel and behave, and it's done to us, not by us, but not without us. The work of steps one through nine are the preconditions. At some point in the journey, certainly by the end of the ninth step, there will be this transformation, there will be this gift, that's the promise There are promises in step three on page 63 that kind of give us sort of the encouragement to move forward. When we sincerely took this position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new relationship. I'm going to change some of the words to suit the situation here. Being all-powerful, God provides what I need if I keep close to God and perform God's work well. How do I keep close to God? How do I know what God's work is? Yes, step 11 and step 12. God will provide what I need if I do steps 11 and 12. That's not a stretch. Page 63 established on such a footing we became less and less interested in ourselves here the dimmer switch here the antidote to our self-centeredness more and more here the dimmer switch here the process here the promise we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of God's presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter, the fear of death. He says we're reborn. We're given a new life. We're we're reborn here. In step three, he says it's only a beginning. He says it's the keystone that we're building a spiritual arch. And here on page 75, at the end of the fifth step, he says that we've walked now through the arch to this new freedom. We are delighted. We can look the world in the eyes. These are the promises on page 75 at the end of the fifth step. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem, the addiction problem has disappeared. It's indicative, it's not confirmative. We don't get confirmation until we end the the ninth step and enter into the world of the spirit in the 10th step, page 84 and 85. But here he's saying, On the sidelines, you can see him with his pom-poms. You're on your way. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. Here's a powerful poetic metaphor. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Broad Highway, capital B, capital H synonym for power synonym for god synonym for the mystery we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe the journey is the destination there's no place to go on page 55 bill answers the question where and how do we find this power where and how do we find this god on page 55, he says deep down within inside of us and that's the only place that we're gonna find it. This is our way of life to carry the message. This is such a wonderful word today given our experience with the pandemic. If we have a spiritual malady, we have a spiritual solution. We have an inoculation. We have an immunization, he says. On the page 89 in the big book, nothing will so much ensure immunity from our addiction as, he has an adjective, intensive, as intensive work with others, intensive work with others. This is not a casual thing. This is developing an attitude organically of helping where we can and how we can and who we can. Obviously, practicing principles. He doesn't give us a list of principles. In my Way of Life document, I do have a list. You can go to my website and download that document. It has the forgiveness meditation in it. It also has an outline a five page outline of a meditation practice for the evening and for the morning, which many people have used as a script, sort of the training wheels to get them launched in a meditation practice. And then in the area in step 12, I have a list of the principles as I've built on other people's insights about the principles connected to each of the steps. Bill actually gives us a really a chapter eight To the wives, he's talking about significant relationships. Chapter nine, the family afterwards. Chapter 10, to the employers. And chapter 11 is poetically named a vision for you. But when you read it, it's about practicing principles in your fellowship and in your community. Practicing principles. These are the organic things that grew up in me as a result of the step process. Back in the late 50s early 60s, I put on a robe and I called myself a monk. I left because I was not doing what monks do I was doing very non monkish things. A story for a different day. Because they had all been imposed on me from the outside rules and regulations of the church or of the family or of society itself. Today, I have principles from the inside that have grown up on the inside. There is no struggle in me today. I lose track. I lose, I, sometimes I don't pay attention, and sometimes my instincts begin to create speed bumps for me. But as soon as I have a speed bump, I know that I'm disturbed and that I'm responsible for the disturbance and that there are solutions for the disturbance, not the least of which is prayer and not the least of which is accountability. I think there's many moving parts in the program. Meetings uh, at some point will return once the vaccine is distributed widely. Right now we have the Zoom opportunities for connection. The big book, of course, is the textbook. The steps are the process, the methodology for human conversion, human transformation, a methodology for transformation. Prayer, of course, because I'm powerless. Service, of course, because it's contrary to my self-centeredness. Notice, I'm giving it pretty short shrift. They're all important. I don't mean to diminish their importance. Each one of these are critically important, but here's the most important. That's why it's in a different color. Having a sponsor, an accountability partner, a sounding board that I use on a regular basis Regular meaning whatever works for you and is suggested by your sponsor. A person who has wisdom, who has knowledge, who has a knowledge of the big book has maybe uh, completed the steps and had a spiritual awakening themselves, has a daily practice of meditation, operates their lives on principles in 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 a wonderful way, enjoys their life, but more especially enjoys their sobriety, enjoys their spiritual development. If I'm describing somebody that you're not familiar with, then you don't have a sponsor that you want to keep. Your life is on the line here. It's wonderful to have friends. It's great. You can continue to have friends with anybody you want. I never became a friend to any of the step guides I had. I had four step guides. They were like project managers. I became friends with my sponsor. That was a different person, but I needed specific technical help to work the steps out of the big book. It's a practice. This 12 step process and methodology, especially our way of life, steps 10, 11, and 12, It's a practice of presence. It's a practice of prayer. And it's a practice of principles. This is the organic, our way of life. How will I know if I'm doing God's will? I get the question all the time. Well, I made up this chart coming from all of the words and the experiences that we've talked about, more or less, Uh, today certainly if you have an addiction a substance or process addiction substance being alcohol drugs and food process just being like relationships or pornography or gambling or perfectionism they don't have any substance but they have behavior connected to them Once I start, I cannot stop. And once I stop, I cannot stay stopped. Then we need to have abstinence and or moderation, depending on what the nature of the problem is. If, in fact, you have anger, we need, of course, to have that removed because it's the cloud in us that prevents us from a relationship with the light, the darkness of fear and anxiety is overcome and replaced by trust and tranquility. Inappropriate sexual behavior is identified in the sex inventory on page 69. There's nine questions. None of them are about genital sex. All of them are about my intentions, my beliefs, my motives, and the impact of my behavior on other people. And the most important question on page 69 in the sex inventory is, Number nine, what should I have done instead? Not as a judgment, but as an opportunity to develop a principle that will guide me in my current and future behavior. Oh, I should be honest. Oh, I should be considerate. Oh, I should be aware of their feelings. Oh, I should be aware of what they want and expect. None of those were my guiding principles at age 48, four years sober. But I had a huge experience with the sex inventory, and I began to have identified the principles that were already in me, not because they were given to me by the church or my parents or society or my sponsor or AA. No, they were my own principles that I could identify to be a healthy and whole human being. And then I was able to work toward them using steps six and seven, especially the prayer that we talked about in step seven about being recreated. Dishonesty was my fallback position. I hid even from myself. They call it denial as if that was a conscious act. It wasn't a conscious act. It was an unconscious, survival mechanism i didn't know that i was dishonest and in denial but i had a huge delusion about who i was and who i was not and i had to learn over time a practice of rigorous honesty one of which suggests that i don't have secrets you've heard it in the rooms we're as sick as our secrets transparency that was the goal of this man who took me through who was my, my sponsor is to have my insides and my outsides match. Guilt and shame are not in the big book, but we would be remiss if we didn't address them in a fourth step, in a fifth step. You'll see that if you go to the way of life document that I have, just talking about it. Generally, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a certified. I'm not a trained. I'm not a degreed in any area but I have some knowledge and experience now. Guilt is the negative feeling I have about my behavior. Shame is the negative feeling I have about my very self, my being. There's healthy guilt and there's healthy shame, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about that unhealthy development of feelings that we get from our environment, from our culture, from our family of origin, from some other post-traumatic stress syndrome kind of experience. These can be dealt with, sometimes effectively through the steps and sometimes it's necessary to have professional intervention, even medical intervention. But the goal is here is to have freedom. We started out talking about freedom, freedom from addiction. But now I'm talking about freedom from unmanageability, freedom from these negative clouds in us that create unhealthy self-esteem. I read a book on self-esteem in preparation for a retreat that I was going to give on that subject. It was a good book as I remember it. The one phrase that I really remember, and you've probably heard it in meetings. If you want self-esteem, do esteemable things. Oh my God, could it be that simple? If you want, self-esteem do esteemable things when you do esteemable things you will develop self-worth oh the logic is just overwhelming and it's so simple that it's just like it couldn't possibly be that uncomplicated yeah it is it's that uncomplicated so gerald may in one of his books talks he's a spiritual director wonderful books any book he has i would recommend if you're interested in the titles reading gerald may may and he uses the contrast that i loved willfulness versus willingness willfulness is the spiritual malady the unmanageability that self-centeredness willingness is that openness that gift of the set-aside attitude that grace that is given to us usually out of pain and suffering. I'm willing because I've been beat to the ground. And that's what Bill says many times in the big book. Richard Rohr says, "The, the solution to life is love. And most people come to embrace love not from the invitation of love but from the running away from suffering. Suffering is the motivator that brings us into a 12-step program. Suffering is the confirmation we get when we look at step one, powerless. How can you not suffer when you feel, my God, there's no choice here. I don't have a choice over my addiction. And I don't even have a choice over my free will. My will, my free will, is not free. My free will will always choose me on its own power. That's not the addict's problem. That's the human problem. That's why Bill could say in that prophecy in the first edition, the first paragraph in the preface to the big book, In 1939 our way of living may have its advantages for all because this is the antidote to willfulness. By a relationship with willingness my will I choose God or no God. I choose to be in alignment or I choose to be out of alignment when I choose my will. To be willful. I'm out of alignment. When I do the work. One step at a time, one day at a time, one click at a time in the dimmer switch concept. Eventually, I moved into alignment by the end of the ninth step. Those are the promises of the ninth step. It's a process, not an event, though. It's a process of integration. As I started out with the Maslow model of human development, it's about physical sobriety at the base level. I can't accomplish that without doing the 12 steps normally. Some of us, like myself, were given the gift right away. Many of us had to work for it. It was at five years that I did the steps and began to began to have some emotional sobriety. And then eventually some what I call spiritual sobriety, a relationship with power through a practice of meditation, a relationship with power that enlarged because I actually wanted to help other people. I had been a seeker all my life since I was 10 or 12 years old. I wasn't a finder, I was very aware that I was a seeker. I wasn't aware that I wasn't a finder until I did the work at age 48. And I began to have an experience of finding, finding a solution to restless, irritable and discontent, to find a a, a solution in that my will can be used in its proper sense to find out what is reality and align with that. And to know that there is a disintegration process that that dimmer switch can go down a notch at a time. It can go down a notch at a time in the same way it goes up a notch at a time. So subtly we don't even know it's getting bright in the first case. And so subtly we don't know it's getting darker in the second case with a little bit of unrecognized anger. A little bit of fear held, a little bit of secret not disclosed. I heard I read in a book the other day, I think it was Eric Fromm, talked about relapse. This is back in the 60s, he was speculating about human behavior, Eric Fromm, a psychoanalyst. And he said, the, the drink is not the relapse, the drink is the evidence of a relapse that happened days or weeks or months before. And he said, the relapse began with the first compromise of principle. Wow, that was powerful. The relapse began with the first compromise of my principles. And the darkness descends and the obsession returns and we're back in relapse in our addiction. And we wondered how it happened again. We knew better, but we didn't do better. And we compromised someplace that began the deterioration and the downfall. That's spiritual sobriety. This relationship with power. Bill says there's only two disciplines, God or alcohol. We're going for one or we're going for the other. Who's coming? Nobody's coming. You've seen me do this before if you've been around. It's such a powerful phrase. Nobody's coming. God's not coming. If there is this reality we call God, that's a synonym for, that's a word for, that's a placeholder for that which we do not understand. If there is that reality, that reality is already here. God's not coming. God's already here. We just need to wake up. I am the one I am waiting for, to wake up. Through this conscience practice, receiving the light, aware of our feelings, awake to disturbances, taking responsibility for alignment. That's our self-actualization, staying with that Maslow model. And to have a consciousness practice, becoming a lantern. That's my image of this Transformation that is us. I am responsible for the effort, not the results. It's a journey, not a destination, a process, not a task, an experience, not an event. All of the things, this is a recap of what we've been talking about. This, I call it now self realization. Self actualization is the waking up to a conscience, self realization is the waking up to a relationship. Well, who's coming to help them? We are the one they are waiting for. Lighting the path for others. I see myself as a lantern, a lantern. I'm not the light, but I'm a lantern as a channel of the light, transmitting the light, using organic principles of reality, not feelings. My intention to actually help, not manipulate or impress. Motivate by unconditional love, meaning there's no benefit to me in this other than I feel pretty good about myself, quite frankly. Uh, but so maybe there is some self-interest in that. It's, uh, I have to stay very vigilant about my inherent narcissism. It's, it's improved, but it never goes away. But this is what I call that self-transcendence at the pinnacle of the Maslow model. This is our way of life. Bill c- captured it, head in the clouds feet on the ground, becoming a lantern and lighting the path. This is our way of life, emotional sobriety, optimal living. As at least I've looked at it today, I I hope that was helpful. I'm going to take a pause now, and we're going to have some dialogue, if you want to have it, to the extent that you want to have it, Uh, about questions or concerns and I gave it very short shrift. I have done uh, a three hour presentation on step 11. I've done a three hour presentation on uh, sponsorship. All of those will be made very visible. They were recorded with PowerPoint presentation uh, for us to look at, uh, for you to, to look at and visit at your leisure. So, At this point, I'm I'm coming back. If you have questions, you could raise your hand, and we'll have some dialogue for a little bit.
3: I was wondering if you could talk about spiritual bypass. Yes. I'm uh, struggling a little bit. When you asked the question, what relationship do you yearn for, I immediately, and maybe I'm beating myself up doing this, I immediately had the thought, one, where I don't have to take responsibility or action where things are handed to me oh that really bummed me
1: well what what did it oh first of all that was a really uh, a huge gift to you now I hear you resisting the gift so what's the resistance (laughs) what does it mean to you that the way you just said it what does it mean to you
8: that I'm lazy and spoiled and then i don't want to work for anything um but i lack
1: all right but but i would lose the words lazy and spoiled lose the words lazy and spoiled those are judgmental negative terms they're not going to help you the last thing you said i don't want to work for it okay that's okay all right so you must be a real addict <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I think
1: so. <laughs> yeah, please pass the spirituality. I want an injection of spirituality, please. I want it now, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And there you are as three years old, stomping your feet on the ground or banging on your high chair. I want it now.
3: <laughs> yeah. So now, i'm
1: not sure time. that's an answer to your question but i think it is
4: yeah thank you very much I so you that. have
1: an invitation to go from a child to an adult which is that i accept responsibility meaning i'm going to have to do some things if it's a if it's if it's a change that i'm looking for now here's the perhaps the, the lotto ticket kind of hope that it will be disproportionately larger than the outcome that you're even anticipating. Your thoughts about who you want and what you want are such an understatement of what the gift will be if you do this work. Can, can you see my pom-poms? Can you see my pom-poms? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you're Thank welcome. You. Now, first, first, you've, you've been given an invitation and an awareness. And second, you have a sense of humor about it. Because you're acknowledging more to yourself today, right now, than you have w- before you asked the question. Yeah? Thank yeah. You. Yeah, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Thank, totally. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
9: Hey, uh, I just wanted to, to thank you for this today. You know, uh, one of the greatest gifts of any interaction with you, of your literature, of these, of these workshops uh, is always the questions that you give yeah. me. That's, it's my I favorite mean, part, I mean, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You know, it's, it's absolutely. You know, the, the the number of questions I'm walking away with today are just tremendous. And I've got about eight pages worth of meditative topics
1: oh, to, uh, wow. to focus yeah. on. on the I even differently than I was thinking. Yes. Yeah.
9: Good. yeah. Um, so, so one of the things we talked about earlier is not letting your mistakes name you. Yeah. And I was I was hoping that you could give a couple of uh, uh, specific examples about of, of a real, of real examples to that what what might be examples of that
1: yeah um so if somebody says to me herb you're just really rude and i've had that said to me can you imagine but <laughs> and 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 i could take that and go oh my god i've really failed or i could take it and go so What does that say about them? Oh, they're really sensitive. Oh, I really hit a nerve with them. Oh, they're really defending something. Or maybe, gosh, I could have been more sensitive. I could have been more aware of their feelings. I could have couched it in much more uh, uh, terms where they could hear it. Because I really want to be helpful. But I don't allow them to name me and I go, oh, yeah, I'm just rude. No, no. I know that I'm direct. Now, lots of people can't handle the kind of direct that I am. But I'm aware of it. And I try to make sure that it's helpful and sensitive to feelings. But I don't cater to, I'm not here overly concerned about hurting your feelings. I am really committed to waking you up. And if it's a glass of cold water in the face, it's kind of like, yeah, that's just what was necessary. I don't know. I'm, I'm I just made it up based on your question. Does that help at all?
9: Uh, it does. No, it does. I, I, no, it, it does. I, I, so, so I, w- what I'm hearing is that it's recognizing that boundary between my behavior and their reaction.
1: Their reaction is none of my business. Other than it might give me some information that would be make me more effective and more useful. Understood. Thank you so much. Yeah, but I but I don't take on their naming me. Number one, I I know it names them. Whatever they say is a projection of who they are. All right, I know that just from psychology, so that helps me then understand them. But they're also my 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 good friends know that I really want feedback. My my two daughters they relish giving me feedback (laughs) but they know I want it because I want to be a decent and and healthy and helpful human being all right yeah understood thank you no it's a great question and I'm sure there's a better answer and I'll I'll think about it some more thank you
4: so I have a question I don't know if I can say it without crying um
1: well it's okay to cry
4: okay (laughs) i just warn you um you talked about rules and regulations from the outside. Yeah. Moving to a place where we live by rules and regulations from the inside.
1: Um, guidelines, I wouldn't even use rules and regulations, They're just guidelines and principles.
4: Right. So living by my own beliefs and my own spiritual principles. Okay. So I, I get that. And I've come a long way in this journey. But I'm at a place, I have. Um, I have a family, I have a religion, and I have a 12 step fellowship that I love in each case and I want to be a part of, but they have rules and regulations I don't believe in. How do I do? Is it, do yeah, I have no. to just walk away from them or no. can I somehow find a way to be a part of?
1: Uh, well, I would say find a way to be a part of if you want to be absolutely right Right. if i yes i if if you're but but have integrity with yourself if when you are exposed to whatever this environment is and you walk away disturbed and angry then maybe you don't need to be part of that community or you need to find a community that is much more conducive to what your own personal beliefs are yeah but it's a wonderful question i'm i'm very practical though and it's like so what works for you now i will but i can
4: choose can i pick and choose the rules and regulations us that use the religion thing
1: um i would I would say yes on the surface of it. It probably requires a deeper conversation. But here's here's the caveat. Have somebody as a sounding board that you test out your ideas with so that it's not just me making up my own mind about what how I'm going to live. I test it out on somebody I really trust as a wisdom person.
4: Okay, okay. So I think you just flip the light on because what's the fear I have in doing that is I feel like that person has to understand or be a part of my family or my religion or my fellowship and I'm afraid if I tell the truth that I will be kicked out I will be yeah I won't belong they will they'll reject me
1: yeah yeah yeah. Yep. it's a legitimate it's a legitimate concern because that's how human beings work. That's exactly right. So you you have to navigate what is what is going to work for you in terms of the balance of transparency and you don't need to tell everybody what you're thinking and feeling. Right? but you do you do need to have integrity with yourself because if you don't have integrity your intention if you're in integrity you're in the flow if you're not in integrity you're going against the flow in yourself and how do we addicts deal with our tension we go back to our addiction because that we know smooths out the tension
4: Well, one thing that I have been doing that I think is the right path, that I think is work, well, it seems to be working, but um, is the struggle is um, I wanna stop judging these other people. Like, I feel like I can let go of their rules and regulations, but I keep finding myself judging them. So I've been praying the seventh step prayer to have that.
1: And are you talking to somebody?
4: Yes, fear of and judgment.
1: Are you talking about your judgment when you pray for the release from the judgment? Are you talking about it to somebody?
4: Sometimes.
1: Ah, well, the 10th step says every time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then this was the six and seven were life changing for me.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Six step says, I'm powerless over my character defects, but I'm responsible for my behavior. Mm-hmm. Seven step says I can pray for the change in both and eventually I will have the removal of the character defect. Meanwhile, my, my step guide said call him every day and tell him what I'm thinking and feeling and doing with regard to this character defect the behavior changed within twenty-four hours. The inclination for the behavior changed after two years of daily prayer. So it's kind of like a one-two punch. The key is prayer because I'm powerless. Accountability because I'm human. Yeah.
4: The okay. I'm, I'm one more thing. Uh, you know, I've used these. These steps have. Have uh, taught me how to walk away from where I don't, you know. I am, I have walked away from a lot of people, places, and things that were not in line with my spiritual principles. Um, but part of the reason why, well, I want to stay within these places because I love them, uh, but also because I feel like I can be a part of making them better.
1: Well, be careful with that one.
4: Okay. <laughs> yeah. we'll cross the line into codependency uh, yeah. yeah you okay. know
1: jo- joan of art didn't end up too well <laughs> yeah
4: <laughs> okay thanks that's enough for me <laughs> thank you thank you i feel
8: shame in in having the situation because it's it feels like well i should know better or i should have been able to do something about this by now
1: yeah. see how you're using the word should right there's your belief what's, what's your belief about
8: well what i i don't know exactly what you mean about that but what i wanted to talk about was my anger and my judgmental
1: yeah yeah how long have you been in a 12-step program four and a half years there you go and, and you're judging yourself because you should be better than that right right well, there that's what I mean by that. You have a belief. All right? And, yeah. and 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 so you just need to look at that is that a healthy belief?
8: No. Mm-hmm. Not the way it bothers me. It's
1: okay, so what problem. are you going to do about it?
8: Well, you know, I what I think of is you know what what you brought out in this workshop and and what I know about the program it helps when I get on my knees and ask to be forgiven and to forgive the person who irritates me.
1: All right. And. Uh, but you but, see, you're dealing with symptoms. Okay. Why, why are you irritated? What's the source of your irritation? My anger? Yeah. What is the source of your anger? I don't know. No, that's probably true. So how are you going to deal with that?
8: I guess, well, all, what comes to mind is I have to keep asking God.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think so. Oh. What would be the practical human approach to figuring out why you're so angry?
8: Well, all I can think of right now is take it individual case.
1: All right. Have you ever done a step four inventory? Yes have you ever done a resentment inventory yes have you done a four column resentment inventory in the big book yes what is your third column belief about your anger what is your step what is your column four motive as to the reasons where you have this anger my sense is you you haven't done it that way therefore you don't know
8: no, I just don't remember,
1: her by. I... If you did it, you would remember. You'll never forget if you do it. You'll never forget. When people tell me they don't remember, it's because they didn't do it. I mean, they, or they didn't do it with an experience. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying, this is a progressive thing. I'm inviting you to invite yourself to do the step four work with somebody who knows what they're doing. Because your step four wasn't effective.
8: Okay, I hear you.
1: I hope so. It's the solution. It's, it's the invitation of the spiritual surgeon, the divine surgeon, to enter into your soul and heart to re, to surgically remove the cancer of this anger because you will identify its source, which are delusional beliefs and corrupt motives. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
8: You don't believe me that I've done it. I've done it a couple of times.
1: Oh, I, I do. I do believe that you've done it. You just haven't been very effective with it because you don't remember it. That's right. Yeah. I've never taken somebody through the steps in column three and column four, where 10 and 20 and 30 years later, they don't remember what they did.
8: It wasn't that long ago.
1: Well, I know, I know. That's why I'm saying. You didn't have an experience with it of any real depth. Otherwise, you wouldn't be forgetting. So that's all. But see, I didn't do the work until I was five years sober. Just like yourself. And so is
8: that, is that my fault?
1: That oh, but why do you have to go there? No, why do you have to go there? Why don't you just say, wow, Herb, okay, I think I can do this work again and have a different and better experience. Why do you have to blame yourself?
8: Well, Herb, I think I can do this work again and have a different experience. Believe that.
1: <laughs> there you go. You're a fast learner. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Thank you, Thanks for Thank
1: you so much. That was great. That
5: was really good. Thank you so much.
7: What I
0: what I realized is that the, the fourth step drill down exercise that you have can be applied in so many other ways that no. I... Uh, I never knew about, and, and the 4 step drill down did change my life.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. no, you're, you're right. And, and in fact, it's in the workshop that I have discovered what you just said about the applicability of the column three and column four outside of the world of resentment. Yep. It can be used for grief and sadness and regret and remorse and any kind of disturbance.
0: Any character defect that I
1: have not surrendered. And that too. Eligible. And that too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank, Thank you. you. Um,
5: I know all over the big book, it says that, it um, doesn't say to be a good member of AA, but it says that it's my responsibility to always give back. And so it doesn't it doesn't really say that. But go, what's your concern? Okay, so let me here's my concern. I'm not giving back the way my sponsor. I think my sponsor wants me to, which is which is by sponsoring. Well, I'm not
1: comfortable with sponsoring. Well, maybe maybe that's not your gift. But right. does not the big book say that's our responsibility? No, it says that we need to be helpful. That's all. We need to be helpful. You might want to reread it in the light of this conversation and especially chapter seven um working with others now that's about uh helping them perhaps with the step work or helping an addict but 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 elevate yourself beyond uh, addiction and ask yourself what's my gift of being able to contribute to the world around me i didn't even use the word help there yeah, you I say- said how can I contribute? You say contribute, I caught it. <laughs> uh, I have a, a, a my one of my best friends is an accountant. He's 35 years sober. He hasn't been to a meeting in 25 years. He hasn't had a sponsor in 25 years. He did the steps with me 25 years ago. And he's committed to practice 11 step and live by principles. And how he helps is he on a sliding scale uses his professional skills to help people who can't afford the full rate all right and that's his service that's how he helps that's how he contributes but he doesn't do the traditional go to meeting have a sponsor etc cetera, etc cetera. no no because go to meeting and and etc that's not in the big book the big book says we have power through step 11 and we are a channel of power in step 12 so that we contribute to the world around us in some meaningful way and good psychology talks about that in terms of the happiness that I made reference to earlier on. So find your own passion, find your own competency. How can I be a light, a lantern in the world and, 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 and listen to your sponsor, but She doesn't get to tell you how to live your life. You're responsible for your life, not her. I don't mean to be diminishing your relationship with a sponsor, because that I don't mean to get involved in that at all. But God bless them. There's no, yeah, there's no sponsor training camp, right? I don't. They're they're human too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.
10: My, my deal is that I'm in OA and yeah. I've been there for a while, but then I picked up the food. So now I'm in FA and I'm doing fine there. Dabbled, yeah. dabbled notice, dabbled in al and some ACA for a while. Yeah. And I got a divorce for the third time, like a couple of years ago. Yes. And I cannot stop trying to do the retread thing. Think everything over again yeah. and rehashing the thing. And yeah. Yeah. it's, I'm in my crazy, then I'm thinking, well, maybe I need SLAA, but maybe I just need to just continue to do the work and work with the processes that I have. And this has been really helpful. So any, want to shed any light on how crazy I am or to get out of my crazy?
1: Well, no, you're, you're, you're in, you're in the mix now and you're hearing an invitation to do some work, but don't distribute yourself too widely. Focus in, F.A. is a really good program. They uh, have a few too many rules from my standpoint. Um, O.A. has a group called A Vision for You, and right, right. that's connected to the big book and the step process. So just follow, follow what's working for you, but stay within the parameters of F.A. and whatever else you were doing. Uh, but focus on the steps out of the big book. Right. Not, not the red book. Not, right. And, and AWOL is a good thing, but it's very superficial. It's a good introduction, but I'm really recommending doing the steps out of the big book with somebody who knows what they're doing. I've had exposure to the FA group for over 10 to 12 years, and I know there's plenty of people who are familiar with what we just talked about. Right, yeah. I've
10: only been in FA for about three months, and I did my... Um the 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 12 steps through the uh with the vision forms and lawry's form but i probably need to go back because i don't remember exactly what i did no either you're
1: you're you're in you're in the play you're in the mix and you've just begun all right think about thank you thawing out wow i thawed out for four years in the rooms of aa i thought out physically then when i did the steps I thought out emotionally,
10: right? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cause in a way I feel like all of a sudden I've been asleep for two years and I'm just waking up right now and being able to see my stuff. What a gift. Yeah. I hate the pain though. I just want to be done with the pain.
1: Yeah. Well, you'll yeah. be done with the pain when you're done with the pain. Whoa. Wow. Well, Thank it, you. Yeah. There's no time frame on it. I mean, this is surgery soul surgery and the pain goes with the surgery but it's also an indication of the healing
10: wow thank you thank you that's so helpful
1: thank you very much much. all right well that was wonderful i really appreciate your engagement and i would invite you now to pray the serenity prayer We'll end with that. We'll end the recording with that. And then I'll stay on as long as there are dialogue to be had. Um, and you obviously leave any time that you want to. Because you will anyway. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference